Welcome to the House of Surgery, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. In this series, you'll hear from and about surgeons in all specialties, in all practice configurations, and in all locations, their success stories, advice, challenges they've overcome, and words of inspiration as they serve their patients with quality, integrity, and professionalism, and strive to heal all with skill and trust. This episode takes a look at the recent ACS Leadership and Advocacy Conference, the leadership lessons learned, and advice for surgeons in all career stages who want to improve their leadership skills. Dr. Michael Sutherland, director of the ACS Division of Member Services, talks to two high-powered surgeon leaders, Dr. Bob Higgins, a cardiothoracic surgeon who is president of Brigham and Women's Hospital and executive vice president of Mass General Brigham in Boston, and Dr. Max Langham, a pediatric surgeon who is a professor emeritus at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, a consulting surgeon at St. Jude's Research Hospital, both in Memphis, and CEO of TO Companies, which seeks to digitize reproductive toxicology. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily those of the American College of Surgeons. Enjoy the program. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Sutherland. I'm the Director of Membership Services here at uh, the American College of Surgeons, and I'm joined today by Dr. Uh, Robert Higgins, who's the President of the Brigham and Women's Hospital Executive Vice President for Mass General Brigham, uh, both in Boston, Massachusetts, and Dr. Max Langram, a professor emeritus of surgery at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. The, uh, these two individuals participated with us at the American College of Surgeons Leadership and Advocacy Conference as speakers back in April, and they are here today to share with us uh, insights into their two high-powered uh, talks that they provided during that conference and that are available still on our uh, learning platform. I'm looking forward to uh, visiting with them with you today in order to share uh, insights into what uh, their talks covered and uh, key aspects of other opportunities to engage as uh, leaders in the American College of Surgeons. So I'm gonna turn it over now to Dr. Uh, Bob Higgins, and his going to share with us his insights about his talk, Can We Find a Silver Lining, The Role of Leadership in Times of Challenge? Thanks, Dr. Sullivan. really appreciate the uh, opportunity to join you today. Um, uh, I was uh, fortunate to be invited to uh, participate in the uh, Leadership and Advocacy Summit, and it really was a great opportunity to hear some great information about surgical leadership in these very challenging times. And my talk was really to try to emphasize really how uh, young and old alike as surgeons can optimize and enhance their impact uh, as well as their personal satisfaction as surgeons or educators, scientists, administrators in these very difficult times in healthcare. Again, uh, we've been through a lot in terms of the uh, pandemic and I think uh, healthcare leaders have, have been challenged in many ways, not only to create a culture of safety, but also improving patient care, attracting and retaining, you know, quality physicians and nurses, as well as uh, dealing with the pandemic and the, all the uh, other issues that have been going on. So it would be easy to get uh, uh, downtrodden or pessimistic about the uh, difficulties that we face, but uh, I thought that uh, there was a silver lining and uh, presented data to support the idea that leadership can have a major role. Uh, as an optimist, uh, seeing the opportunities in these difficulties. And so the first acknowledgement was, of course, our 
workforce has been under incredible pressure, the unintended consequences of our nurses and our physicians and our residents really has uh, taken a toll. And it's had an impact uh, in terms of staffing shortfalls, as well as the psychological challenges of being involved in a crisis. It's uh, shifted our workforce to working from home in many regards. And my emphasis was that we really need to focus on our employees' well-being. And so as a leader, we have that responsibility to look out for folks, understanding about the science of COVID as well as the pandemic and the needs of our workforce. And there's lots of great examples of good stuff happening in terms of the evolution of the vaccines and how we've gotten back to surgical activity now, creating priorities uh, for a more holistic approach. Uh, and then I, I echoed a little bit about my journey as a transplant surgeon with uh, a clinical expertise, helping to build programs, um, but also building teams uh, to my current role as managing extraordinary kind of academic institutions. And I think I emphasized many people can pursue uh, leadership roles, whether you're a clinician or a scientist or administrator in a variety of settings. And I, I think I emphasize some of the key elements of leadership, things that uh, require a little or no talent uh, in order to be successful. I also distinguish, I think, between the academic skills versus leadership skills and what uh, that entails. They're a little bit different, but important as you think about leadership roles. I also intelligence, mentorship, and uh, sponsorship. And sponsorship being that where people invest in your career and help you achieve your goals, but with an expectation that you will succeed. And so uh, as I thought about you know, the lessons I've learned in academic medical centers, I share some of the rules of thumb and the leadership journey, and ultimately uh, dealing with adverse circumstances as well as crisis and chaos, and what lessons I learned in terms of uh, managing those issues. The ultimate uh, conclusion, I think, was that I was hopeful to continue to have an impact in an environment, given that there's significant pressure and maintaining, I think, personal and professional distinction in these environments can often have a huge impact. It ultimately leads not only to transformational leadership as a leader, but also translates many of these environments if you emphasize all the great stuff that we can do. So uh, I, I shared some pearls of wisdom as I got into the C-suite as an administrator and what a hospital leadership entailed and ultimately recognizing that leadership requires followers and that faculty will only respond to engaged and thoughtful leaders. And you have to build a connection with those folks in order to build a foundation of excellence and hopefully a successful leadership journey. So with that, Michael, I'll stop and uh, be happy to answer any questions. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, it was a great summary of what was an amazing talk. Uh, I, I'd, also, I'd like to bring on uh, Dr. Langham. Uh, to describe his talk about the effective performance-based teaching lessons from aviation. I found this to be an amazing talk and I may be a little bit biased because I have a, a daughter who is entering a commercial aviation program in college in the fall. And uh, the distinction that Dr. Langham brings about between the uh, 
high performance and high stakes training associated with aviation and how it's different than what we deal with in surgery, I thought were very enlightening comments. And I'm uh, looking forward to hearing his comments today, uh, reflecting on his talk. Well, thank you, Dr. Sutherland. And it's a real privilege and honor to participate in this along with Dr. Higgins. And what I thought was really a very good, really super excellent advocacy and leadership summit. I participated in a lot of those programs since the inception of that meeting. It was great to be back in person. And I thought that the uh, content was really superb. My uh, talk was really uh, reflective of kind of a personal journey that I have gone from a surgeon educator and I'm still part-time as a uh, coach and surgical assistant for complex pediatric hepatobiliary cases and filling time in my retirement with a love of mine, which is flying airplanes and was talked into becoming a certified flight instructor. And as a lifelong educator, I found the curriculum and certification process that the FAA goes through for flight instructors to be eye-opening and uh, thought-provoking. The talk basically summarized a little bit of the types of topics that are taught in the fundamentals of instruction. And uh, I would refer people who are interested in this topic to the FAA website where you can get the manuals downloaded for free. And the Aviation Instructor's Handbook has most of this course content. But the fundamental commonality that surgery shares with aviation is that we provide an um, important high-risk type of service to our fellow human beings. And the quality of our workforce drives our outcome. I got my private pilot's license in college before I went to med school, and the content for CFI training now is completely different than it was in 1975. It focuses a lot on human behavior, uh, formal teaching on the learning process, teaching process, uh, and importantly, the um, importance of assessment. From a holistic learning theory standpoint, the FAA is really interested in changes in behavior, behavior being how well somebody flies an airplane, can lands an airplane, can maintain altitude or heading within defined tolerances, just as we in surgery are interested in behavior and how needle position is in creating anastomosis. Dr. Higgins was doing heart transplantations, and pianists or musicians are interested in behavior and how well you play a piano or a guitar. And so how you teach adults and how you maintain motivation for adults to learn to improve their performance, to change their behavior, and that they are capable of doing tasks that they could not do before. And how you assess that is really at the heart of the CFI curriculum. And as I said, I found it very thought-provoking and came away from the certification and now recertification process feeling that I might have been a better surgical instructor had I had this curriculum before I became a program director in pediatric surgery. We had a little bit of time to reflect on our workforce and, and the intersection of how we teach 
and support our learners with the types of issues that Dr. Higgins discussed and the difficult realities that surgeons face today with a workforce and nursing, with pandemic-associated changes in practice, with increasing government regulation and administrative overhead. And part of this human performance really revolves around flexibility, resilience, and kind of lifelong learning. The college has had a huge focus on education and lifelong learning as long as it has existed. The folks in the Department of Education are very involved in this. And I think this is just a slightly different emphasis on a topic that the college has uh, really had long-term leadership in. So with that, I will be happy to answer any questions you might have, Dr. Sutherland. Great. I, I really appreciate it. And I want to reiterate that I think that this was a great discussion for those of us that do work with residents on a regular basis in tying together just some differences in how we do education in these environments that are vastly different, but share quite a bit of similarity. My impression of the, the Leadership and Advocacy Conference was quite good. I'm curious, based on your interactions at the meeting and the other areas that you saw in addition to your talks, if you had any specific other things that were covered that you thought were uh, really good or things that you might uh, recommend that others take a look at as part of their educational process if they were to go in and participate in the online video versions of the Leadership and Advocacy Conference. Dr. Higgins? Well, I thought the uh, programming was really outstanding. The one talk that really uh, caught my attention was about communicating about your interest. The professor gave the talk about how to give your best elevator speech and to deliver your message. I thought that was really outstanding content and really a fantastic talk. She really typified what young professionals should be available to do and to speak to as they think about their career and pr promoting their activities. So I thought it was a fantastic talk and really outstanding in terms of communicating your interest and your abilities as a professional. I think Dr. Ferrata is the person that gave the talk that you're speaking of, and I agree with you. I think it was a fantastic topic and really highlights some of the content from this meeting that is targeted at young surgeons and surgeons that are at transition points in the career and how to position themselves best to assume leadership roles and move forward in their career progression. Dr. Langham, did you have any thoughts on that topic? Well, I... I completely agree with Bob that the you know top to bottom the talks were interesting and compelling. The one that blew me away and has really caused me to doodle on a paper and so forth. Dr. Kimberly Lumpkin started the conference with a talk called "Defining Your Path: Your Personal Mission Statement." And yes. the challenge of defining a personal mission statement and really being able to crystallize those aspirations or plans that are important to each individual surgeon and leader going forward, I thought was just an amazing talk. You don't often get talks that have you kind of ruminating over things for another month or so, but I literally am still doodling with what my personal mission statement should be. So I thought that was a particularly wonderful talk. Outstanding. So uh, not to, uh, to call anybody out, but both of you gentlemen have uh, moved through your careers and are senior surgeons, professors, and experts in your own right. 
And my question to you is one of the groups that participates in this conference and has been actively engaged have been our residents and our young surgeons and early career surgeons. Do you have any advice that you would share based on either your talk, the stuff that we uh, went over at the leadership conference, or just in general that you would like to share with young surgeons as they're embarking on and uh, moving through the early stages of their career? Well, I'm sure there's plenty of lessons to be learned from this whole series of conversations. But from my experience, my career has been advanced by developing a form of clinical expertise. My chosen area was in transplant and cardiovascular surgery. And uh, my first formative years were really building programs successfully and understanding about how to do that. I think being collaborative as a team builder was really important. And then I acquired additional skills in health management, finance, operations to augment my ability to lead teams as well as be part of teams. And I think that led to some progressive administrative opportunities. And I've been fortunate to have some great opportunities and sponsors to help me get to where I am now. I always was focused on quality and operational leadership to try to help uh, advance my career. And I think many others, the examples we're hearing today underscore that. It's certainly important. And I'm sure Dr. Langham has probably done the same thing in his career. That professional distinction makes a difference. Dr. Langham? Uh, I think that it's a little humbling to be considered a um, senior person giving young folks advice about how to succeed. What I would I would share is that you need to define success yourself. I think that as we have a more and more diverse workforce, more uh, young moms, folks who view of success, like Dr. Ayla Stanford, as impact and distressed communities in our areas, or other folks who choose to provide uh, care either overseas or in rural America, there is not one path to success. I think people ought to expect to go places that you are not intending to go. I certainly didn't end up exactly where I thought I might when I was in medical school. And you have to maintain a certain sense of humor as you go through this. One of the things that I think that Leadership and Advocacy Conference is really good at is exposing our young folks to the leaders who are driving healthcare policy in our country. And many of the people we interact with on Capitol Hill are in their 20s, are staffers for our congressional delegations and senatorial delegations. And they are really the peers of our medical students and residents. The personal relationships you develop, even with people who you may fundamentally disagree with, are super important in accomplishing benefit for our patients for uh, our communities and for our fellow surgeons. So I think the respectfully listening and trying to understand where other folks are coming from is something that the Leadership and Advocacy Conference gives you a unique kind of firsthand experience when you walk into those offices and talk with the young staffers that are making our healthcare policy. I think it's great fun, and I strongly encourage medical students, residents, and young fellows of the college to participate because you'll learn a lot. Thank you so much. I think that's a really good point. I'm going to take the liberty of offering a comment or two myself in that regard. And I think one of the things that is important that many of us 
have partaken of, but we don't always think about it later in your career as when you made the decision, but participating in organizations like the American College of Surgeons and your specialty organizations and those groups that provide not just the educational content, but the formative programs that help you understand what's going on in the world of medicine and how medicine works, how to be a leader and how to develop along your career path are key aspects of one's professional growth. And I strongly encourage those listening that that's an important thing to remember. And it, while you may take for granted to some extent that these things happen, they happen because membership in those organizations drives that knowledge, drives that educational product, drives that advocacy piece that's there that supports the members of the profession. So that would be another piece of advice that I think is important is to join those organizations that resonate with what you do and what you believe in, in terms of your professional goals and support those with your time and your efforts to help others become better members of the surgical community. I think that that's a, another piece that's worth mentioning. I would like to give either of you a chance for any last thoughts before we wrap up today. This has been a, a stimulating conversation and I'm really pleased that you've been able to join us and want to give you the last word. Well, Dr. Sutherland, I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, one of the great things about this activity was that we saw surgeons in leadership really advocating for our specialty, but also creating a new future for us whether it be worrying about physician wellness or leadership or healthcare policy. And that was a really extraordinary representation of what we can do and how we all need to work together, whether it be listening to the Board of Regents or the Executive Director or other practitioners. So I was uh, very, very encouraged by the amount of information and the opportunity to participate. So uh, again, I think the college is doing a great job as it advocates for development of leaders and advocating for our specialty. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Dr. Langham? Yeah, Dr. Sutherland, thank you. And I, I just want to echo your comments about the value of joining organizations like the college, because it provides us with community and it allows us the opportunity to network. And we've talked around it a little bit, but really haven't talked about what a rich networking experience the meeting was. I would encourage particularly the young folks, the students, residents, and so forth to pick up the phone and call email, text, whatever, those who have similar interests or who you want to connect with. A lot of times, I think that we underutilize each other and the uh, strength that our collaborations can uh, create. So I think that participating in this type of meeting and networking like crazy is a really good, rich way to uh, develop your own interests. And I am so grateful for being able to participate and uh, uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And as all of you can tell, this has been a, a great synopsis and a great discussion of all the rich activities that were included in the Leadership Summit. And although the 2023 Leadership Summit is ended, you can still register and access these recordings through both the leadership aspect as well as the negotiation seminar that took place over the summit weekend. The sessions are available until July 31st, 2023. The negotiation seminar is designated for two hours of a Category 1 CME credit and the Leadership Summit for 4.75 credits. 
if you go to facs.org backslash summit, further details about how to register and participate will be there. I encourage all of you to save the date for the 2024 Leadership and Advocacy Summit, which will be held April 13th through 16th in Washington, D.C., and look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for participating with us in today's podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you for joining us on the House of Surgery, brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast. On social media, use the hashtag House of Surgery. You can learn more about the American College of Surgeons, its members, programs, products, and services at facs.org.